The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Good Friday, Jay Sandoz, Keith Brake. It is Jay and Keith's show, and it is a weekend that Jay is going to love. Because it's Chattanooga week on the men's side. Hate weekend. We're going to talk about that second. It is. It is for me. And so for a lot of people. But but mainly me. The second thing, uh, that's what we're going to talk about second. (laughs) Third thing, we're going to talk Southern Conference. We're going to go over all the games, all the standings, all the good stuff going into the weekend. We're not going to break down every single game, but we'll give you some quick thoughts on some things. No doubt. And we're going to do, what's what's, what's the other segment? Say what? I think think it's a little bit of say what. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll do say what, but what do we want to talk about first? The women winning last night. They were incredible. Is my is my mic on? Is my mic on? Is my mic on? It, 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 do you not hear yourself? I do not. Why do you not hear yourself? I don't know. It's a great question. Let me try, turn it up. Do you Maybe hear yourself fine. now? Yeah. Is this your first time? <laughs> you know, I remember my first time you podcasting, are... Keith. You know? Oh, God. You know, no. nor- normally... Well, we were just, we were just uh, uh, putzing around with the speakers because... All of this is interconnected to where, like, the computer that I sit at is supposed to be able to have the audio that's piping back in from the other side of the room out these big honking speakers that are bigger than your blockhead. And I just, I just didn't know if that I was. That sounds like a lot of excuses, Keith. A lot of excuses. Yeah. Well, you know, you know who probably has a lot of other excuse, a lot of excuses themselves is the Furman Paladins because they lost last night to ETSU, a twenty-three to five. Third quarter run for the Bucks puts them ahead to stay, and they defeat Furman at their place for the first time since 2018, and just the eleventh time ever, 64-56. It's always tough to play. I think, me personally, I think it's tough to play in Timmins Arena. I don't know if it's all the purple, the oddity of the building, the genitorium, or whatever it is. It's just tough. I think yeah. to win there in general, and the numbers for Furman and their home record for men's and women's basketball prove that. So I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary. And I think just because of some of the intricacies of the court, the depth, all the other things, it's a nice little home court advantage because it's not the crowd. I mean, the, no. the, the men's team doesn't really pack it out. The, the women's team doesn't pack it out. I mean, occasionally – like the football team or the lacrosse team will sit behind the goals and they're allowed to be, you know, loud, but that's 20, 30 people. So I don't think it's that. There is something to it. It, it is very difficult to win in Timmins Arena. And then I think the big thing for ETSU was how are they going to react, um, not knowing if Courtney Moore was going to play. Of course she did. And then Jayla Rufus-Milner, the injury, probably not going to play the rest of the year from what – uh, it looks like and uh, what we're hearing but that being said not sure what you're going to get there and then for Furman they lost Tara Hodges who is you know yeah lost her before the season to uh, an Achilles injury and she's done for the year immediately and I, I thought Outen was decent at, at point guard last night in, in her stead Janae Outen 
Um, and they've been asking some other players uh, to pick up some of the slack there. And Sidney James was really, really good too. But uh, yeah, Furman just, honestly, I, I didn't think they had the interior presence. Even, I mean, if, if Jayla Rufus-Milner is out there, I think the Bucks win this game by 10 or 15. Yeah, because they because at that point, like the one real advantage that Furman had in the game was the glass, and that's gone with JJ out there. So, yeah, I, I, ETSU they hit that big run, and yeah, it all kind of came at once for them. But it it's still the offense came through, and they found ways to to get shots, and they they started making the big thing was they weren't sharing the ball in the first half. Uh, they had two assists in the in the whole first half. And in the second half, they had a total of nine assists on 12 made field goals. That's phenomenal. And what it was, when they were driving and kicking, they were looking for the extra pass. They were looking for the extra open player to try to go from, oh, that's a, that's a decent shot, it's like a 65-35 shot, to this is the shot that we want. This is the kind of shot that we want. This is the look we want in the hands of the player. We want taking this shot. And that player turned out to be Sarah Thompson. She hit three straight threes in the span of a little over 90 seconds. And that completely, I think it broke the will of the Paladins when the run got out to, uh, I think it was 12 or 15 at that point. It ended a 16-0 run. And ETSU held firm the rest of the way. They didn't even hit a field goal in the last two and a half minutes. They didn't need to. They, uh, they were really, really good last night against Furman as a response to, yes, Jayla Rufus-Milner done for the year, but also Courtney Moore, not as bad as we feared. She is back in the lineup. Heck yeah, let's go Let's go fight. And that's what they did. They went out, they fought hard, and they ultimately prevailed with a much-needed first win in conference play. Well, and it really was led by a quarter, I think, that the third quarter hasn't been kind hadn't been awful but hasn't been kind to ETSU and that's what was impressive because they go into the first quarter you're up five you know not a particularly great second quarter so they have to come out of the locker room down Furman I think got a couple buckets early and then all of a sudden ETSU just boom 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 16 nothing run you look up and ETSU's plus 12 in the quarter and rode that momentum really for the for the rest of the game but that 16 nothing run was incredible Yes, it, it, it really was. And um, I mean, a big part of that run at that point in time, obviously the Thompson threes, Kendall Foley hits a couple big shots, and Kendall was huge. And we'll talk a lot about her, I think, over the next few minutes as we, we go into why ETSU won this game. We'll talk a little bit about Neve Brown as well. She's 14 of her last 30 from the field, by the way. She looks more like the Neve Brown that was in the top 10 in field goal percentage at one point this season in the Southern Conference. I... Really loved what Ja'Kaya Davis did, the little things that Jabo did to help ETSU get off to a solid start because they had the lead for a good chunk of the first quarter and then also getting on the ground for a loose ball, coming up with a big steal, coming up with a big board, just little things here and there um, that helped ETSU cash in on opportunities to get the better of Furman. Jabo was put in a spot where she needed to step up. She was, she is the starting center on this team now. And I think she did that, you know, now is, is she a player that maybe, you know, yeah, doesn't, doesn't necessarily play like marathon minutes. Yeah. 
And I'll tell you what, another player that I was pleasantly surprised by was Megan Downing. And Megan missed a lot of time in the preseason with an injury, so she was kind of playing catch-up for the first half of the year. But for a true freshman to go out there in a big spot and play 15 minutes, she did not look out of place at all. And so Ja'Kaia's going to have some relief coming off the bench, playing the five, so she can go all out. And she ate in that matchup against Grace Van Rye in the paint last night. Four steals. Uh, just looked like she was anticipating Furman's bounce passes better than than Van Rye was. Um, and I know Van Rye is not necessarily just like, you know, jump out of the gym, athletic phenom or anything, but for Jabo to go out there and win that matchup when ETSU needed to win a matchup in the post, I thought was really, really valuable and a, and a meaningful contribution to a Buccaneer win. And maybe that's the part that I re- that really sticks out to me here is that all of the starters and, and a couple of bench players contributed a lot to this win. Like this was a, a a game where seven players contributed something significant and meaningful and major to a victory for ETSU on the road in SoCon play, and they needed that. They needed all of those players to chip in. They needed all of those players to do something. It was a tough shooting night for Giselle Thomas. She was forced into some subpar looks. It was clear that Jackie Carson had made it part of her game plan. We're not going to let 30 beat us. And she was, what, 4 of 16, which is not her best night. But she still did things that helped the team win the game. Nevaeh Brown was great. Kendall Foley was phenomenal. Courtney Moore hit a couple of shots early that gave the team some energy. Jabo doing things in the paint uh, to generate stops. Whether it's turnovers, rebounds, it honestly doesn't matter. Stops to stop. Thompson hits the big threes that key the run. Everybody did something. And that's the way that ETSU wins games going forward. And it gives me a glimmer of hope that, hey, this team can still pull out a solid SoCon year even though they don't have maybe their most important player and their best rebounder and one of the best rebounders in the league available to them the rest of the way. I want to focus in on an eight-minute and, what is that, 48-second stretch. Okay. And that's basically where ETSU down 10, mm-hmm. and Ja'Kaia Davis gets a jumper, then you get a layup from Kendall Foley. Then yep. you mentioned already, but the back-to-back-to-back, three-in-a-row triples from Sarah Thompson. You throw in another triple with Thomas. All of a sudden, a 16 nothing run gives you a 46-40. And I'll say something else. Right after Thompson hit the layup, or rather Thompson hit the last three, Foley hits a layup. That was at the shot clock horn. And Kendall got to the block with one and got that up right as the clock was hitting zero to get that shot off. It was good if it went, and it went. And that was another one that you're just like, holy smokes, everything is going their way right now. It was awesome to watch. Yeah, and so... Here's where I, obviously that's impressive. 16 nothing. You got a bunch of threes to go down. I think the next thing that jumped out to me was okay, Furman was able to get a couple of buckets to cut it to two. And this is where we're going to get into Foley talk in just a second. But she knocks down a three to take it from a two point game to a five point game. Then uh, you move a little bit into the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden, Furman gets a couple of buckets and cuts it to five. They're starting to get a run going. There's Sarah Thompson and Foley, back-to-back triples at the 7:15 mark. Foley's triple, go back up 11 double figures, and that's yep. when I had a feeling that it was not – overs a bit strong at that point because there's a lot of game left, but I had a very good feeling 
that this was going to be a different type of night for ETSU. And every time it looked like they needed to be a big bucket and a big run, you know, Ja'Kai got the run going, but then Foley got the layup. Then the three started going. But every time Furman kind of made a spurt in the third to try to get, you know, from six to two, it was Foley – uh, a part of making a shot. Then all of a sudden, after they get it to five, it was another opportunity where a shot went down uh, for a three for Foley. And that's where – and she hit the one with like a minute to go in a game that was really the nail in the coffin. But yeah. I, she was phenomenal uh, the entire game, especially during that run. And you look at her total numbers, and this is a, a situation where you're like, my goodness, 15 points, efficient, five of eight, two of three from three. She doesn't take a lot of threes. She's pretty efficient from out there, three or four from the line. But I love this. Five rebounds, six assists, a couple of steals, 31 minutes. I mean, that's about a for a maybe not a true point guard, but someone that's kind of gotten into the role of the point situation. Been, Unbelievable. And, and, yeah. Has been the primary ball handler a lot for ETSU and had two turnovers in 31 minutes as such. Neve Brown had one turnover as kind of the 1A ball handler in 38 minutes. Uh, it's just... Those two really did a lot of heavy lifting for ETSU. And that's how it's going to need to be for them. Like Everybody's going to have to contribute, but it's going to be those two leading the way and somebody else is going to step up and help them out in scoring, whether it's Giselle, you know, maybe a more efficient shooting night than what she had. And, and you know, because if she's 8 of 16, then we're talking about, what, 19, maybe 20 points, maybe a couple more free throw opportunities, an and one here or there, something like that. Um, she has a big night. And then Sarah Thompson last night, career-high 12 points. You know, At some point, Courtney Moore is going to be able to, to fill it up and knock down three or four threes herself. Journey McDaniel is going to have some opportunities to score. I know it wasn't really her night last night. Maybe not the greatest matchup for her last night uh, against Furman. But uh, ultimately, this team is going to have everybody contributing. It's going to be 12 and 0 and 30 that really lead the way for the Bucks, and it's going to have to be those three. And if two of those three go off the way they did last night, the Bucks are going to be tough to beat. I think a stat that's underrated that uh, I like that I know a lot, a lot of people because it's it's an analytic stat and there's a bunch of yeah. a f- a fooiness in there. But the points per possession, ETSU, anytime you can get a point per possession, right, or average that or more, right. ATSU and some of their losses are they're under a point per possession. In most of their wins, they are over a point per possession, and they were a one point zero nine, so basically almost one point one points per possession. Mm-hmm. And because of and that changes, you know, because teams don't run shot clock, so there's more possession. But if you run shot clock like ETSU will do, you run shot clock and you get a point per possession, you're going to be in a lot of games and win a lot of games. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, I mean, a point per possession is almost like shooting 50% on your two-point field goals. Correct. Basically. If, if every possession you had was one and done, that's 50% on two-point field goals. And it's better than 50%. It's more like 52% if it's 1.1. That's 11 points every 10 trips down the floor that's going to keep you in a lot of ball games. I mean, Furman only scored 11 points the whole fourth quarter. So that's going to keep you in games. It's going to help you win games. Now, do you eventually need to get more points on, on some of those possessions? Certainly, because you, you can't just score, you know, 44 points or what have you, or um, 56 points and, and win a lot of games. Furman didn't win the game last night. And they scored 56. So, uh, yeah, I, I think ETSU's efficiency was much better 
than maybe it has been at times. And part of that was that the three-point shot was going in. And if that's something that they can adapt to now that they don't have the great, you know, anticipation and the the, the leverage, the ability to get, you know, box outs on bigger players the way that Jalen Rufus Milner provided, if they can adapt to that and say, all right, well, now we're going to be drive and kick, extra pass, three-point shooting team. Boy, that's going to get fun. It's going to get fun. And they're going to keep finding ways to to stay in games. I love some of the miscellaneous categories, especially two specifically. Second chance points, points off turnovers. I think if you win both of those, and you know, not a steadfast rule, but if you win both those, you're probably going to win. ETSU very efficient. Again, a point per turnover is good number. ETSU 24 points off 16 turnovers, so above that. And then second chance points, 15 offensive rebounds, 17 points. Even though they were out-rebounded and Furman had more offensive rebounds, they were able to still uh, pick up that. So 41 points in the miscellaneous category as opposed to 29, you're plus 13. That's going to win you a lot of games. Not only that, Jay, ETSU had fewer defensive boards than Furman did offensive boards. That's tough to do. Furman had 19 offensive rebounds. They got 51.3%. Technically, 51.4% if you're rounding it, of all available potential offensive rebounds. And they scored 14 points off of those rebounds. Again, I didn't think their post presence was strong enough. They hit some threes, right? Sidney Ryan hit two threes in the second quarter, and then they were just scrambling to try to get her clean looks. Because I don't know if they just like she just can't hit contested or what, but she was like spotting up behind screens from way bigger players, and I'm sometimes I'm not even entirely sure that she saw the rim based on the players she was being screened uh, for, or, or the players that were set the screens for. Like, but they were just she was chucking up threes, Acker was chucking up threes, uh, James had the ability to get some good looks at times and got a lot of layups. Uh, but she was also, uh, you know, just kind of flinging the threes at the rim. They were one and nine in the second half from beyond the arc, and uh, that inefficiency, coupled with an inability to get the kind of volume second chance points that you need off of the volume of offensive rebounds you were getting, really sank Furman when ETSU went on that run. I, I mean. The way that ETSU was able to go on the road after three straight home losses and a great non-conference and some injuries with a question mark on more, there are a lot of things it would be easy to feel sorry for yourself and think, boy, you know, this could go the way that it's been going, ETSU women's basketball. But the grit, the fight, the way that these ladies were able to battle, Courtney first being able to go I think was a lift. I think most fans had a lift. I'm sure the team did as well. Then you have players making plays, right? Sarah yeah. Thompson knocking down the threes. You got Foley doing everything. Ja'Kai Davis is a steals machine, uh, four steals on the day. I mean, just it all came together, and it's amazing where you're kind of at a crossroads on where this team is going to go, mm-hmm. and now you're thinking, well, you know, got one win on the road. You got another one Saturday that's certainly a winnable game. Yes. I think the only bad matchup I've seen so far for ETSU, I think, is Mercer right now. And that's just because of there's some athleticism there that ETSU is going to have a hard time contending with, especially if Rufus Miller isn't playing. The rest of the league I don't see as a bad matchup. I think ETSU is going to be in a good matchup or a good personnel grouping that could win 
in theory, any game left on the roster on on the schedule. And to your point about crossroads and and the way that things have gone the last you know three four years in this program, this is a, this is a culture building win. It's not like I'm not going to go so dramatic as to say, oh, this is a program defining win or anything. Like that. It's not, but it's a culture builder. It's the kind of moment where when you are faced with adversity, you say, we're going to strap our shoes on a little tighter. We're going to run a little harder. We're going to dive a little faster. We're going to shoot with more confidence. And we are going to redouble our efforts to be better because we have to be in order to have a chance to win. Instead of saying, well, uh, you know, our most important player is uh, done for the year. So I guess we're done. They didn't say that. They, did, they didn't sit on their hands. They didn't mope. They didn't feel sorry for themselves. They went out there and they played harder. They said they, they took the mindset of nobody cares, work harder. And it worked for them. Uh, and I think having JJ, I mean, she's still around the program. She's on the bench. She's a big supporter. You know, she wanted that one bad. And I think that wore off on the team too, is they wanted that one for Jayla Rufus-Milner. And as much as she means to the, that group of, of kids, if they dedicate the, the second half of their season to JJ because she can't play, I, I don't think there's anybody in this league that they can't beat. If they've got the, if they put their minds to it, the way that I have seen them put their minds to it, the way they put their minds to it in the second half last night, I don't think there's anybody in this league that's out of their reach. I'm very disappointed that I've deleted the uh, so what, now what, Randy Sanders quote that he used to say. Yeah. Because I felt like that very appropriate for what how you described that because – no, nobody's going to feel sorry for you. What? Absolutely. If you're worried about this, that, and other, uh, that was the big thing. So what? Now what? So so what happened? Exactly. What are you going to do? What 100%. are you going to do? So, uh, God, I wish I still had that. Thing. And now you have something in your back pocket. If you're Mock, if you're one of the assistants, if you're Jackie, Joe, uh, Trenise Fox, you have a chance to, to lean on that moment and say, listen, this is what it looks like when we're all pulling together, when we're playing hard, playing for each other. That's what it looks like when you do that. That's what we want at ETSU. And that's what these players will respond to and what these players will bring going forward. And once you get this group that's playing well for each other, playing hard for each other, uh, the sky's the limit, man. I mean, this league is wide open. Long term, I don't think there's anybody in this conference that's just a juggernaut. There is no South Dakota State in this league where you're just like, well, the Jackrabbits are going to beat everybody by 26 at their place anyway, and they're going to beat us all by 15 at our place. So, I mean, we're just playing for second. There's nobody like that in the SoCon where you're just perennially playing for second place. This league is there for the taking, and if ETSU can string together a few games like the one they had yesterday, that culture leads to a place where Players want to come and compete and succeed. And you can have a lot of success here with just a few. Not, not even, you know, you don't need the level of investment or even the level of commitment that you get or that you need to win the A-10, the SEC, you know, a bigger conference of whatever scale, you know, like your, your traditional mid-major multi-bid conference or your high-major conferences. You don't need even that. You know, you have a lot of wins on the table in this conference if you get just a, a few of the little things right and get the first few building blocks in place. And I think ETSU put one in place last night. 
Next opponent will be the Wofford Terriers. I think it's uh, it's 2 o'clock, no radio. Uh, we'll be on ESPN+. Plus. They've got a two-headed monster still, Jackie Carmen, Lily Hatton. They led the way in a big win against Chattanooga uh, last night, 42 points. Odd stat of the day, four players scored for Wofford. They accounted 24 of 54 from the floor, all 64 points. The rest of the seven players that played, 0 for 7 combined. So uh, it really starts with Carmen and Hatton. They jumped out to a 21-6 lead over Chattanooga and rolled. So ETSU uh, will have a tight test. We'll go over the women's schedule, the men's schedule, the standings, and a little bit later. Right now we're going to talk a little men's basketball Chattanooga hate game. And then I brought it down. This is calming for me. Calming. So I'm going to start yelling at some point. going to talk about Chattanooga. Well, I mean, it's basically. Do you want to just talk about Jake Stevens, or do you just want to talk about how much you hate the you know Chattanooga in general? Or I tell you what, the the one thing that I do like about Chattanooga is the aquarium. I do like. I the like aquarium. the aquarium. The I do aquarium's like the aquarium. nice. I do. I do. We have that in common. I do like the aquarium. The aquarium. The aquarium's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. like it's got like the ramp that goes down into the exhibits. You come back like into the main like you know shaft of the 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 difference like the stairwell, mm-hmm. and you got the tanks along the side there. That's pretty cool. That's a really cool design. Yeah. Singing or wing it's a good little uh, bar down there where the karaoke. Yeah, yeah. I've been known oh, yeah. to do a little baby got back occasionally. You know? Oh boy, I ice know. ice that's, baby. That's, yeah, that's, a few? that's okay. all you. That's all you. All right. Uh, so Dan Earl goes from VMI who. Was phenomenal VMI, you know, ultimate ties to ETSU. Of course, he played for Ed DeCellis uh, when Ed was an assistant at Penn State, was on his staff at Navy, goes on VMI. Now he's on at Chattanooga. It's amazing how you feel about a guy once he changes colors. But um, Coach Earl brought, you know, Jake with him, kind of a combo package. He has been as good as advertised three games this year. He's had 25 points or more in the first half. All but one games in double figures in which he had nine against Mercer. Um, was not in foul trouble. I've tried to figure out what in the world happened that game. I can't figure it out. I only took like seven shots. Um, now they won, so they didn't need them. Uh, the other thing, I mean, he's got eight games or 20 or more. He's got five games of 30 or more. I mean, he's just been incredible. Can shoot the three, can go inside, can rebound, but he executes sort of that Princeton-style offense for Chattanooga. They lead the league in three-pointers attempted. But in the same token, I think they're second in the league in points in the paint. So you're looking for layups in the paint, three-point shots. I mean, that is going to be their goal. Now, they're in a little bit – I thought of disarray because they were really good in the non-conference. And then as they've got into conference play, you know, the loss at the Citadel (laughs) – Citadel, if they're going to beat you, is probably going to be at home, but still the loss at the Citadel. Then they're winning games at home. 19-point yeah. lead. They don't hold on to that. Sanford comes back to win that contest. Then they're tied with, I don't know, three four minutes like we broke down. Yeah. If you don't listen to that last show, yeah. Furman. Yeah. Furman. So I, I'm kind of curious to see Chattanooga kind of reeling a little bit. Some of the guys that they relied on a lot last year, not getting a lot of playing time, not scoring as much, or some new cats in there. So I'm not real sure – what to expect from Chattanooga, except they've lost two in a row and they really would like to right the ship uh, against ETSU. Jake Stevens is going to be the lead for that. For the Bucs, they've been obviously, if you've listened to anything or paid any attention, really good on the road. 
struggle at home. So which yeah. ETSU team are you going to get on the road against Chattanooga? And the biggest thing is, are they going to be able to slow down Chattanooga? Because I think they're going to get enough shot attempts and they're going to shoot the ball, a lot of threes. And if they go down, again, you've heard Coach Oliver say this, just regurgitating what he says, you can't give up. 30 points in the paint and then give up 10 threes like you know you right you, you one or the other you can survive you give up both you've got no shot in the game and that's pretty much Chattanooga's game yeah and I, I look at Steven's numbers from that Furman game and um I think the big thing that they did was they didn't give him maybe as many field goal attempts as he's used to getting like you just deny him opportunities to get the ball up uh, this is, yeah, they gave him his fewest shot attempts since New Year's Eve. 11. Like, VMI gave him 18. Western gave him 18. UNCG, 14. Sanford, 14. Now, Chattanooga didn't win all those games. They didn't win most of those games. But Furman really did not let Stevens um, get as many opportunities to get shots up as he wanted. Part of that was their work on the perimeter, too, because he only took two threes, and he didn't make any either of them. That was his first game without a three, made three, since December 10th. And he still found a way to get 18 points, but he turned the ball over five times. He didn't have as many opportunities. He could have probably gotten more had he had some looks from outside, had he gotten more easy touches on the inside. I just... They're, they they did a really good job of neutralizing certain elements of Stevens's game where the guy just didn't have a chance to influence the game as much as he normally does. And I think that, as much as you like to say, well, he's going to get his and all of this, I think that's the way that you defend a team like Chattanooga, and that's the way you give yourself a chance to win is just deny Jake Stevens one of the ways that he can influence a game whether that's the three-point shot, whether that's post-ups, it's going to be tough to deny seven-footer post-ups. But however you do it, find something that you can take away from a guy who is, I would say probably right now, is probably the front-runner for player of the year. Oh, there's no, he's preseason player of the year. I think he has to be right now, would be the player of the year. The problem is for teams is a matchup because yeah. he shoots the three, the pick-and-pop, he's the assist guy up top. And if you go small, let's say you go – of course, Taylor's up. But if you go Seymour, then he's just going to go down there and post up Jaden Seymour. If you put Jancic or Haynes, now you're asking them to guard the three-point line to the block. That's right. not necessarily things are good. I mean, Jalen maybe a little better Haynes, coming Haynes, is, Haynes has the agility to, we, to move through traffic. We've seen him do it to get out to the perimeter to guard somebody like Stevens. So that could be an option. I, I think it's just that's where Jake is really good. He's a matchup nightmare because if you don't have sort of somebody that can guard from the three-point line to the block then he can he can expose you I mean his first game against VMI and they're struggling and not particularly uh you know a lot of guys left when Dan Earl left he took a couple with him Hunter Hoff's on the roster but has to sit out because he transferred within the conference um and he goes for 37 and just says, you know what, VMI, I gave you four straight years. Now I'm just going to have my career day against you. But it, <laughs> you look at his numbers, and and it was a problem when he was at VMI. Now he's got some other athletes around him and other scores and people that can make plays. So, you know, for the rest of the league, they're probably happy Jake Stevens and Dan Earl didn't have three or four years at Chattanooga together to get that kind of rolling with some uh, different type of athletes and, and basketball players. But – I think that's the big thing. You have to stop that, number one. 
Um, Jamal Johnson's another guy that can score it uh, and can yes. do it on three different levels and can get things going. I think that's another guy to uh, – you know, you got to be concerned about. And then, honestly, the rest of the squad is hit or miss. Yep. They, they either – can go for 12 or 15, and then they'll go a few games with three or four points. I mean, just breaking down, you know, my spotting board and looking at point averages and then going through game by game, they the problem for Chattanooga is they don't have – if somebody's averaging nine or ten, they're not giving them nine or ten every night. Right. They're giving them 14 or 15 and then five. You know, they're giving them 12 and then six. Uh, they're just not – they're not playing to their averages. If they play to their averages – I think Chattanooga would have a few more wins on the roster, but they're not playing to their averages. They're they're having too many highs and lows except for a couple of guys. Given the fight that we saw against this Sanford team, where where the Bucks were just they were in a situation where, you know, it was a competitive game, but they were just outgunned at the end of it all with the the sheer amount of depth that Sanford was able to present against them. Um, this is a Chattanooga team where I don't think they are outgunned to a man the way that they were against the Bulldogs. This is Stevens and Johnson and everybody else. Uh, I I don't know. I, I think ETSU's got a really good chance to win. Like I said, if you can take one thing away from Jake Stevens, whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is, take one thing away from Jake Stevens, their bench can't pick up the slack. You're, you're essentially betting on that, but I, mean, that's, I think that is as safe of, a, of, a, of an assumption as you can make about a team is their bench won't pick up the slack. And if and if they do, you begrudgingly tip your cap to Chattanooga and say, well, you know what? You did something that you don't normally do. If you take the player of the year preseason and right now the leader in the clubhouse off the floor, there is not another player of the year on chat on anybody's bench. Otherwise they wouldn't be on the bench. So right. if Jalen Haynes can go at so here's the problem. Stevens is very skilled at blocking shots, but doing so in a way where he doesn't pick up fouls. Yep. And he's figured out how to do that. But if you were able to, I would, t- especially because the way Jalen finished the game, I would give it to Haynes and say, young man, five of the first six plays, unless you're quadruple teamed, triple teamed. <laughs> if you're double teamed and they come late, just go at Stevens. Try to force the issue on a Saturday. And everybody knows if they've listened to me, the old Saturday SOCON officials, generally more fouls called. Um, there's a lot you get not the top refs uh, in the Southern Conference because those guys are also in other leagues and they're they're calling some SEC, ACC, or whatever. So I think Jalen Haynes should try to take advantage of that, try to go at Jake Stevens, yep. try to get some fouls. The other question mark, we know Taylor's out. Yes. Is the Anthony Tipler going to play in the game? That is a question. That's a question that has been asked. Um, you know, Desmond Oliver talked about this. He talked about this after the game. You asked him about it after the Sanford game. And so just to give people context that they might have missed, because not everybody listens to the postgame show. Not everybody's been listening to, you know, ETSU media around the clock the last few days. Um, I wanted to play. We decided we are going to play the full unedited answer to Jay's question on Wednesday night from Desmond Oliver regarding the status of DeAnthony Tipler and his absence from the lineup and from the bench on uh, on Wednesday night against Sanford. And here is Desmond Oliver. Yeah, you know what? Um, 
this is this is my you know this is year two for me, and I've come into a program that historically has had you know greatness, and right now we're we're kind of reloading. I won't say rebuilding. We're reloading. We're a few pieces away from being elite right now, even though we have the potential to win right now. You know, there's a small margin for error every game, right? As you just saw, with 2:40 left in the game, four-point game, we turn the ball over twice, we we, we lose by by ten. There's a standard that by year three I want to have already here. Right now, we're involved with some of the best players in the country um, in junior college right now that are looking to come here and visit soon. I don't want to bring anybody else into our program um, unless there's a standard where when they get here, all the guys that return will say, this is how we do things at ETSU. We play this hard in practice. We, we conduct ourselves this way in practice where – we're, we're playing for those letters across our chest. And so, you know, in, in that case there, I just didn't feel like the, the standard that we're trying to teach was being followed, you know, through by him on a consistent basis. And I made a decision to allow him to step away from the program, you know, shortly. And, and we'll sit down and talk, he and I will, in the very near future about what's, what's, what's next. Um, that's all that was, was just giving him a chance to get, to get away <clears throat> for a little bit, um, talking standard practicing harder as, as a team, our guys getting closer. As, as I said, yesterday was the best practice probably of the season. We had guys on the floor for loose balls. We had guys jumping over tables for, for loose balls. And that's where I want to be at. With every guy that steps foot in our practices moving forward, win or lose this year. I don't know if we win the dance, the, you know, win the conference or not. By the end of the day, when our season ends, I want, I want there to be a stamp on who the hell we are, how hard we play, and what we're about. And so I feel like our fans left here tonight disappointed because we lost. But there was a guy, that, a person that came to the game that, that wouldn't say that these dudes, despite being depleted with injuries and, you know, guys sitting out, didn't give their, their all and their heart for ETSU. So that was the Desmond Oliver comment um, post game. And, again, I didn't want to kind of pick and choose because there was a lot there and he kind of – and coach talks for a while. Coaches talk for a while. It's not just Oliver. Yeah. They all talk. That was, that so, was, I mean, it was two minutes and 11 seconds talking right, about yeah. the, the program, the standards, Tipler. And it was more than just – I could have just cut out and said, you know, uh, he wasn't doing things and, and we wanted him to take some time to step away from the program. And mm-hmm. that's not a full picture. I thought of everything that he said. So, yeah. when um, – Keith's like, hey, let, let, let's play the bite. And I'm like, what are you thinking? And he was like, well, it's two minutes. And then we listened to it, and we were like, let's play the whole thing. Because that way yeah. there's full context. And, right. you, and you get a little bit – it's not – you know, uh, we don't work in news where, where they've got to get a, a five-minute news piece out, and they're going to give us 30 seconds, and they're going to take the 10-second quote. And if you only hear 10 seconds of that quote and you pick and choose, things seem like awry or things like Tipler has been just get out of here, we don't want you. That, that right. was not any of the thing. Right. Will Tipler be back? I, to me, and I've not talked to Coach uh, on this Friday morning yet uh, about whatever and getting ready to head down to Chattanooga and get ready for the game and all that, and I'll know more when we get down there. So I don't know Tipler's status. But to me, that's open for interpretation of there's a chance he can play Saturday. Mm-hmm. There's a chance he's not going to play Saturday. What hasn't been determined is he's no longer a part of the team. Or he, he said, I quit, or Coach said, don't come back. That has not happened. Yes. It, they are just in a – Let's wait, see, cooler heads. Let's figure out what we're going to do. And coaches are very intentional about their words in those situations. And he said, um, I made the decision to let DeAnthony step away from the program for a little bit. And he, then, he, then he went on to say that they would 
get together and discuss next steps for him. Uh, so clearly this is not something where he's been dismissed. It's not something where, you know, like, like you said, he didn't just quit. It, it's Nobody just bailed on anybody one way or the other. This is a situation where um, a decision was made to give a player a, a night off, essentially, and reevaluate subsequently from there. That could mean Tipler comes back Saturday. It could mean Tipler doesn't come back at all. We, there's still a, a multitude of possibilities, and nobody is going to close any definitive doors until it is time until you reach those doors. And I don't think ETSU has reached any definitive doors yet with DeAnthony Tipler. He could be dressed up as Bucky and then take the suit off and then jump out there in a the game. I don't know what he's going to do. That there's a lot actually, of choices. That would actually be a really fun way to bring him back. Spectacular, wouldn't game. it? Yeah, uh, nobody will do that, but that would be great. That, that should be that should be Chattanooga next Saturday, three o'clock broadcast. Myself, actually, Bruce is going to go with me, so we'll have hey. Tramburger on the radio call. Three o'clock tip, ETSU Chattanooga, two thirty pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network. So Southern fun. Conference. So fun. Oops. Women's and men's basketball. Standings. And scores. Who's going to play? And schedules. What do we think? And takes. And probably some quotes after the match. And you don't want to go to Singer to wing it. What are you talking about? We oh, we take this show on the road. <laughs> we don't have the equipment to go on the road, but we could take the show on the road, I guess. Well, you take your equipment on the road. Well, you got the... You got the the whole broadcast kit in there. I got one in my trunk. Let's go. I got a I got a whole separate one at home that's not even ours. Well, then but anyway, I got to take the replay. I got to take the you know. Oh yeah. Then I got to yeah, carry yeah. stuff, Keith. I mean, there's a lot of things. We there. could probably get away with taping this podcast on location somewhere. I'm sure we could. There are plenty of pods that do that now. They go to like. I a, mean, listen, we can be bought with free food. There's no doubt about that. Oh, 100 percent, 100. All right, let's uh, very quickly let's go. Uh, did I just say one hundred? You did. You gave it a hundo. That's okay. No, no, no. I, I, you've been playing Pokemon or something. All right, uh, women's basketball. I have been playing Pokemon. Oh, of course actually. you have. Of course you have. <laughs> women's basketball standing: Sanford still the lone undefeated team, four and zero. Wofford three and one at three and two. UNCG a couple of two and twos. Chattanooga Mercer, ETSU Furman one and three. Western Carolina one and four. There are three games Saturday. Chad at Furman, ETSU Wofford. The big one besides ETSU Wofford, because we're ETSU fans, Sanford and Mercer. Mercer got off to a little bit of a sluggish start. They're two and two. That they were the preseason odds on favorite. I thought going into the year it was going to be hands down Mercer and everybody else. Clearly yeah. that is wrong. Yep. Sanford is trying to say hands down. If Sanford rolls here, Keith, my question to you is they would be five and zero. Oh, do you say they go on just to steamroll the league and win the regular season? Well, you have a lot of reasons to think they would if they go on the road and they beat Mercer at their place. Uh, this is a team that's got the ability to go on some big runs and they they hit shots in bunches. Uh, it's a group that has been really, really tough to beat so far. And the fact that also they 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 cross the one-third mark of the season tomorrow. Sanford does. And... Or their conference season anyway, because they're only fourteen games on right. the women's side. It's so that, that's why I asked because if they're five and zero, you're five and zero, man. That's such a big hole to climb out of. Especially if ETSU were to beat Wofford tomorrow, 
at that point, you've got a two-game lead on the entire SoCon. That's going to be really... really uh, Sanford has kind of run away and hid from the, the rest of the league. Mercer has one real chance, I think, to reel them back in or start to reel them back in. And who knows? One loss might knock Sanford off balance and then they go on a three-game losing skid. But uh, this is a pivotal game. If Sanford wins... I think Sanford is the prohibitive favorite for the regular season title. How much does that mean for the tournament since all eight teams go and it's a you know your standard quarter semi championship tournament? I don't know. Um, certainly, it probably means a date with Western Carolina in the first round of the tournament. So you feel pretty good about getting to the semifinals. After that, well, it's a little tougher. But Sanford, if they win this game, and if Bailey goes off, they'll probably win the game. Um, they are in a position where I say, man, they they're really just running away and hiding, and and it's not gonna it's gonna be virtually impossible, I think, for somebody to catch Sanford in in the regular season. But the matchup of Andrea Bailey versus Amori and Neil Tyser is gonna be a lot of fun to watch. Those those two. Really just, you know, going toe-to-toe, slugging it out. And uh, then you've got some complimentary guards. Like for Sanford, they've got, you know, Wheeler's been uh, knocking down some big shots at some big times. Um, Angelina Gonzalez was has been good. Player of the Week, for, uh, Yeah, Player of the Week. She was great against uh, Chattanooga. They didn't win that game. Um, but she scored 34 points. So... That's a freshman that's coming into her own for Mercer and coming into her own at the right time. I think if she rounds into form and they win this game, then uh, the fight's on for the SoCon regular season title. If Sanford wins it, man, it's hard to see anybody coming back from that deficit. Taking a look at the men, everybody's played seven games. So this yes. is a little bit easier to see. Sanford, 7-0. We've talked about it. UNCG hanging right there at 6-1. and Then Furman with a big win. They're 5-2. and two. Western, 4-3. and three. And then a smattering of teams at 3-4. and four. Chattanooga, Wofford, ETSU. Citadel, Mercer, 2-5. and five. VMI, own 7. Yeah. Uh, Citadel and play, VMI play each other this week. This is VMI's maybe one real opportunity for a win with the Citadel at, in Lexington. With the cadets back on campus. This is, I think, by far VMI's best chance for a win this season. And uh, they got to take it. Um, Rivalry game. Yeah, the service academy. The military academy is going at it. The, um, the, the cadets will be there. They'll be loud. I think VMI knows since Mercer beat them. They've already played ETSU. The only one on the list at the bottom there. And, and can VMI win one somewhere else and have all the shots go down sure but the realistic best chance I think for them and I'm pretty sure you don't have to tell them they know that is coming up Saturday if they're going to get a win this is statistically speaking probably their best chance can I ask a question yes and this is a question I ask of every mid-major conference especially why do you send every team to your conference tournament is there a reason other than we think 12 people might buy tickets to this um well because the league makes you buy 200 tickets, so they're going to guarantee uh, revenue for the conference tournament, so the league will get revenue from the tournament. That's my answer. I think that's I, – I just – why not just – you have 10 teams, but an eight-team tournament is much more straightforward. Everybody plays the same number of games. Why not just send the top eight teams 
and put two teams that right now would be a combined two and twelve. So why, send, why not? Why, why they they had an opportunity to earn the continuation of their season, and they didn't take it. They didn't win enough games. The arguments will be from the one and two seeds is that there's no advantage to being the one and two seed. The arguments for one and two seeds have actually tried to push for um, doing something like the OBC or the Big South or the ACC where you get like a double buy or a buy. Really give those teams an advantage that won the regular season. My argument to that is there are more 8, 9, 7, 10s that actually win the game that have, because they played the night before and got kind of hot, that, exactly. have, that have knocked off. But that, if you want to know why, I've talked to three coaches that are now at high-level schools, uh, and you can probably figure out where they are at Cincinnati, Wake Forest, and Virginia Tech, and all huh. three I push for. Um, they don't like the current format of the Southern Conference. They don't like the – top eight going because then there's no advantage to the one seed they all wanted to of course they were all winning at that time and wanted you know as much you know free passes as they could get so a counterpoint to that what if you schedule the term when, when is the socon championship game typically is it a monday or a tuesday it is a monday it's a monday okay <clears throat> what if you were to uh as the one seed and the two seed you play your games on friday and the three and the four play their games on Saturday. And then the one and the two, if you advance, you get a day off before the semifinals on Sunday. That's your advantage to be in the one and two seed. Technically, it's the same advantage for the seven and eight, but also you get uh, the much tougher draw, right? The one and two also get the more favorable matchup. You'd still be playing, in this case, ETSU in the Citadel. And if you're Sanford and UNCG, you feel good about those matchups. Uh, but you would also, in addition, get a day of rest in the middle of the tournament. I'd have to lay that out because uh, that would make a change to the women's tournament as well. Because Because yes. the one thing I do like about Southern Conference is it's the same weekend in the same venue. So you do not – all fan bases don't have to try to go two different places in either two different weekends or two different places in the same weekend, which I don't know why leagues would ever – do that and split there are some that still do most have it on different weekends in different places which is tough travel wise and so the women will play you know four games thursday four games friday day off saturday championship sunday so if you go with the women play four thursday and you still had two games on friday i'm just trying to do the match so you, you, uh, the you way, could have the to adjust the turn so the summit league did this with an eight team tournament and they the one and the two played on um, because there was su- Saturday, Sunday. She would have Tuesday. both the men and women one and the twos. The one and twos would both play Thursday. On, then, yeah. In, in this case, well, you would play. So you'd play your first set of quarterfinals on Friday, your second set of quarterfinals on Saturday, your semifinals on Sunday, and your championship on Monday. Well, don't, again, goes back to the ESPN owns the rights for the women's, and that's on a Sunday. Okay. So, so there's a little there's a little play that um, the men will end on Monday, no matter what, because ESPN sets the schedule, and the women end on Sunday. Mm. And the reason, because Southern Conference, where it started, was always on Sunday, but where it got kind of s- some national news and they started to pick things up, 2015, I'm trying to think, um, they moved that to Monday so that it's the 7 o'clock game and it's pretty much a stand – it's the 7 leads into a 9 championship. So it's gotten – 
big numbers, and so they've continued to leave it on Monday. The bad news for the league is if it goes back to Sunday, it means they feel like the Southern Conference is taking a major step back, and they will move another league to Monday. Yeah. I mean, so that throws you, you up. Can, you can, we can figure. We don't have time to figure it out now, but you can you, I will let you though, figure that out. You and can next theoretically, show. though, do just two women's games on Thursday evening as sort of like the the intro to the madness of Asheville or something like that. You put some fancy name on it, but yeah, you play your women's one and two play on Thursday night, and then your three four women's play Friday morning or Friday early afternoon like noon and 2 30 or something right and then the one and two men play Friday night then women's semifinals Saturday men's three and four Saturday women's championship and men's semifinal on Sunday men's final on Monday yeah just draw it up yeah I just did draw it up I literally just did and I think that's I think that would be way better. It creates more stakes for the regular season. Um, you have to earn your way into the tournament instead of being given the tournament by an accident of being affiliated with the conference. Um, I, I like that. I like giving more stakes. We, we've sidebarred. So, right, all, right, right, right. So, the so that the the ten seed, by the way, has gotten to the championship game two of the last seven years. I think that's a reason to do it. I think it's a reason to cut the field to eight because. You just don't like madness. Keith Brake does not like madness. No, it's like, you're a mid-major league. We get one team in the NCAA tournament. Do you want it to be Mercer? I mean, Mercer fans do. Mercer fans do. Do I, but, do I want? But, no. But from the perspective of putting the best foot forward for the Southern Conference, does Mercer in the dance put the best foot forward for the conference in men's basketball? In the sport that they put so much time and effort into, what if VMI won the conference tournament? What if they go like... 3 and 15 and get hot 3 days in March and somehow find a way to win the conference tournament. It has happened before. A team that won 13 games won the Big West one year. And that they got they got their doors blown off in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, but they got a paycheck. The conference got got one paycheck and you reduce your chance of getting a second paycheck by not giving your best teams a more favorable path or a higher probability of success by giving them more teams to to potentially play against or more bad teams to play against that they're not far enough away from that they can just beat them by 40 every time. Yeah, I think it depends on uh, how the revenue share works per league on what would make sense. Like for the Southern Conference – and the way that their revenue share works, like they should try to want the regular season champion to go. If it's the old A Sun and something how that goes in the way the share was, all those teams get a bigger share if you win. So if you go to the tournament, look, you're getting more money. Where in the Sun Conference, if you have to win one to kind of get really the fruits of your labor, which they changed that even still because the way Davidson went on the Elite Eight yep, run yep. and the way that they hoarded all the money after the first round. Now it is split. The conference and other teams kind of share in the wins, even though the team that won gets, as they should, a majority yep. of the money. So, I mean, the argument has always been, I think, that why can't the regular season and the tournament champion from every league go instead of having the ninth um, below 500 ACC team go? But we're not going to win that I argument would say, every time. I mean, you're, you're gonna, you would be helped out by a 96-team tournament then. Because last year, Furman would have been a team that would have been really close. To I, I, in. I, I think it's still laughable that people think, even if they expand it, the SoCon will get another team in. I think the the, the SoCon could get another team. The league that's going to benefit the most from an expanded tournament is the A10, 
the A-10 would have gotten four more teams in last year. Yeah, uh, and I still think the ACC would have probably got five more, and Big Ten would have got three more. And then I, I, I did I, the math on it, and uh, I refuse to believe that the the logical the, big, like, the biggest beneficiaries would have been the SEC and the A10. They they would have both gotten I think four in the Big East. I think would have gotten three more, uh, but you would have created multi bid leagues in I want to say five other conferences. That's if the committee and the thing do the right thing. I have no faith in NCAA. I'm glad you have faith in them. Oh, I don't have any faith. I have, in the NCAA. I have no faith. Now, I do think I, I, I do right. think the A10. I I'm not knocking the A10. I and I'm not even saying, you know, an outlier team there. I think a majority of the like lower 25, 26 leagues would only see three or four teams out of the combined 26 leagues, as opposed to where, in a theory, I would hope 12 to 13 out of the 24 would have been helped out. That's going to be my problem. Jay, I read the Alston ruling. I have no faith in the NCAA That's fair. either. All right, uh, men's real quick because uh, we got way, way sidetracked. All right, uh, my question, and I don't have time to answer it, so I'm just going to tell you what I'll be looking for. Uh, is Mercer on a two-game win streak? Have they figured things out, or are they going to be stymied defensively by the best defensive team in the league, UNCG? And which Western Carolina team are you going to get? That's a are, great question. Are they going to hit 10-11 threes and pull off an upset over Samford? And or are they going to hit three or four threes and Sanford wins by 20? So those, those are sort of the questions yeah. around the uh, Southern Conference because we've rambled a lot and we still got one more segment uh, to go, which is one that I love to do because I like to have a little fun. Say what? Say, say, say what? All right, let's do it. Hey, you played against my dad. First, your first NBA game ever. Really? Sacramento. You feel old, don't you? <laughs> That is Jabari Smith Jr. to LeBron James. So he played against Jabari Smith. He played against Jabari Smith. For the Sacramento Kings. LeBron played against Jabari Smith Sr. and is now playing against Jabari Smith Jr. In his first ever NBA game, uh, straight out of high school, which, by the way, have you ever looked up that stat line? I I perish the thought of of somebody who... uh, did not decidedly did not peak in high school, but peaked immediately after high school. I don't even know that he did. I mean, he's just been he's been ridiculous his whole career. What, what was it? What were the numbers? What okay, the numbers twenty five points, six rebounds, nine assists in his first eighteen year old body in an NBA game. Nuts. Anyways, I thought I'd throw that out there. All right, go ahead. All right. Uh, yeah, that's Jabari Smith Jr. to LeBron James uh, last week. Uh, how about uh, we, we were just talking about college basketball postseason. Let's talk some more about that with someone who uh, has talked about it a lot. I've talked to uh, John Rothstein, and I'm not on Twitter, but I know he he's in your camp, right, of uh, no expansion. What we should do is the A-10, because at the end of the year on Selection Sunday, they're going to say, well, the so-and-so schedule wasn't quite good enough. Or they, didn't have the, they didn't have the quad one wins and all this stuff. Very predictable. And I think that if, if John Rothstein can get us eight home-and-homes, the whole conference, that this league gives him $50,000. But what, his, what he has to do is he has to tweet once a day of the teams that he spoke to in scheduling and what their reason for not playing a home-and-home with Richmond is. And, and he has to go on the record. He wouldn't come close to getting eight games. And that's, that's just, I think that would be a little bit of a, um, an eye-opener to see that 
you know, when our schedule comes out, we've really, really tried to play a great schedule all the time. If it's not quite as good as it was before, if there's criticism or it's a little better, whatever it is, if you knew how little control over it, and we're in the Atlantic 10, right? What's the Atlantic 10, the seventh best conference generally or eighth best conference? I mean, I can't imagine what it's like any, any conferences below us, but it's an impossible, it's an impossible task. Yeah, nobody wants to play you. That is Richmond head coach Chris Mooney. The other thing is the coaches have gotten more control over the schedules over time. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, honestly, Steve Forbes said this when he was coaching ETSU and, and on the record on his coaching show. He said if basketball really wanted to make a step up, coaches wouldn't be allowed to make the schedule. Mm-hmm. ADs would make the schedule. That's a good point. Because coaches are worried about saving their job and what it looks like. And then they will agree to games and then hold off signing a contract, hold off signing a contract. Oh, my goodness, I got this other team now wants to play me. I think I can beat them, so I'm going to try to play teams I can beat. Yeah. Because they're more worried about that. Do the administration, do broadcasters, do fan bases, do the committee worry about the net and all that? Sure. Other coaches worry about, man, if I win 20 games, 22 games, I've got my job. I can get another contract extension. They probably get a bonus out of it. I'm going to get a, maybe a bonus. and I, you know, I'm not going to be in the NCAA tournament, but I can do that. Yep. The other thing is there's no incentive um, because of the way that it is set up. There's no incentive for Kentucky, Wake Forest, Tennessee, name them, to go play at Austin P. Right. They're, they're, I mean, if they lose that, there's no incentive. If they lose at home – Certainly, that that's bad too. But the chances of them losing at home, especially this year, the home record this year, I think I was reading the ACC article, so it was only ACC home games last year, and includes conference games played so far. Last year, the home teams won about fifty-five percent of the games. This year, it's seventy-three percent. Now, that's probably not alone in the ACC. My guess is is that it's a small piece of the number. And yes, I don't think everyone in the country is that high, but I bet it's a correlation. And do you think that's reactionary to the fact that they only won fifty-five percent of their home games last year? Yes, I I do, and, and I think that that is that's a uh, it's a change in the caliber of opponent because they lost too many games. I, I mean, I t- when Rick Barnes inherited the schedule to come play at Tennessee, I did the TV for that. Me and Casey Getz and. We sat in front of him, and I thought, hey, this is awesome. You get to come here. Would you, you know, maybe not every year, but every two, three years, play somewhere else in the state and expose? And he was like, no, there's why? Why? I, I tried to buy out of this game. He wouldn't let me. And I will never play back here again. And I was like, well, Rick, I'm a simple man. Walk me through the process. He was like, well, you know, we're going to have to play in a, you know, SEC big whatever challenge. I think it was Big 12. So we're going to play in a challenge. We're going to have two times where they're, they're going to be special games to where we'll play so-and-so in Nashville and so-and-so in Atlanta. They're going to play in a multi-team. And then we've got ten other games to fill, you know, and then I need season tickets, I need this. So, you know, we're probably going to play nine of them at home, and I'm going to play one true road game that is in an area where maybe I'm trying to recruit a kid, a kid's from, we're trying to get somebody, but it's in a metropolitan area. I will never come back here and play. I said, well, that's what's wrong with college basketball. Now, Pretty much. Now, he doesn't. He's in a spot where he can get away with it. He didn't care. But I wanted to say, look, I, I know when you were at Clemson and you were there, that's the one thing I will say about Bruce Pearl. And people can hammer Bruce Pearl all they want to. But Bruce Pearl at Tennessee, I don't know what he's doing at Auburn, but at Tennessee he went and played at Middle. He went and played at Chattanooga. He went and played at Tennessee Tech. He went and played at all these places. And he was like, I remember when I was a coach and none of these people would play me. Mm-hmm. Now, what Bruce didn't tell everybody was he would only go play them if they got 5,000 tickets. And they could sell them to their fan base. Now, 
that's still tickets sold for Tennessee Tech, right. which has 100 people at their game at all time. There's Roundhouse does fine, but 13,000 people were in the Roundhouse to watch the game, or 12,000, whatever that, that yeah, thing Yeah, so you can still get a 7-5 to five partisan draw. You can, and you still get the money for the tickets. Exactly. Tennessee's not asking for free tickets. They're just buying the tickets. So right. there are things there to promote and go, but that's where we are now. I mean, and just say so you Steve Forbes again. Do you think Steve Forbes is knocking down the door to come play in Freedom Hall? No. no. I mean, uh, otherwise it would have been done. And we still have the AD, interim AD, Dick Sander, who hired him that if he calls him today, my guess is he's not coming to play here. So it, it's just the way that it is. And, and Richmond is in a better stead and a better league that can try to get games. But coaches that control the schedule that try to do that aren't trying to get that. You're seeing it a little more in college football now. Georgia didn't play above the Mason-Dixon line for almost 80 years. Mm-hmm. I think they went and played at Penn State, right? I think it was Penn State. They did a home and home. Right, yeah. And now they've got a few more games scheduled. Alabama went to Texas this year. That's the first time they played a true road game. And I don't want to hear, well, well, Georgia, I mean, Georgia played Oregon. You know, it was in Atlanta. That's not a home game. What? That's like when LSU played oh, with – People thought Georgia-Ohio State in Atlanta was a home game in the playoffs. Right, and when LSU went to Wisconsin, they played them in Green Bay, and, and you know, talking to a few Wisconsin people, like, well, that, that was a neutral site. It was in Green Bay. Come on. It's in Green Bay. Wisconsin, where you're at. Yes. That's a home game for Wisconsin. So. Yeah, football is, is a whole different beast when it comes to that. Yeah. But, like, you know, some schools are, like, obligated to play each other a certain – like, you, Ohio State I'm in football, again – uh, so they're all all the games are in Columbus, but they're obligated to play a certain number of teams in the state of Ohio over a certain period of time. So that's North, why Car- North Carolina play. has that rule. Yeah, North Carolina has that rule. So that's why you see you know UNC playing North Carolina A and T or or something like that. You see Ohio State playing Cincinnati and Bowling Green, and they wouldn't want to play Cincinnati typically. They go play bowl. They'll play Bowling Green. They'll bring Bowling Green in. They'll bring Toledo in. They'll bring OU in. They'll bring Miami in. They play those games because they're required to, and and I think that's something yeah. that is. Um, that's a good thing for the ecosystem of the sport. And if you want to get make this change, well, find somebody that's willing to pull in the reins on their head coach. Find an AD that's willing to pull in the reins on their head coach and say, sorry, John Calipari, we're going to schedule Louisville this year at a neutral site in wherever. Or we're gonna we're gonna schedule we're gonna schedule a home and home with Louisville and you're gonna like it. I, I love that he called out John by name because John is also the one. If you buy a game and lose it, he's hammering you too. And the same token is like, well, we tried to get other people to play us, but exactly. unfortunately, we have to buy a it's game. The for epitome people. of brutality. Oh yeah. Speaking of brutal, how about um, Ivory Towers? And I would love to see the Ivy champion go to the uh, the playoffs, but the presidents uh, are not fully considering that as an option now they have considered it they've spent time thinking about those kind of things but but they've never they've never received traction from from the group of ivy league presidents and so while i disagree with that and and so do many directors of athletics and many many coaches and many many student athletes the presidents run the league and the eight schools in the ivy league are world-class institutions and i think more so than any any group of universities, there's a huge, huge focus on not allowing athletics to take uh, too great a role in the lives of the student athletes. That is that is the uh, director of athletics and physical education at Cornell. Ever heard of it? Andy Noel 
on uh, the possibility of the Ivies participating in the FCS playoffs, which I will have you note is the only postseason they are eligible for that they decline to participate in. It's always baffling. First of all, they they only play 10 games. They play one less game than every other FCS team. they start like two or three weeks after everybody else. And no bye weeks. They go 10 straight weeks. Which is also not a good idea. And I I, I remember one time when I guess it was Princeton made the, the baseball and they were doing a, a piece on them because they had won one game in the, the regionals or whatever. And instead of practicing, they still were in finals. And they were just in study hall in the hotel cramming. And they're like, what do you think about the game? And they're like, we, we got to get through this, you know, whatever test they're doing. And so they were doing that. And, um, and that, that kind of struck okay. me as odd because I was like, okay, if you don't want to do the ba- – which they now do four teams in the basketball – Ivy League tournament to get to the NCAA. Yeah, they were the they they held out on that for a long time. But, so yeah. uh, doing that, I get like okay, if you just wanted to send the regular season because you didn't want to do a full fledged tournament, pull kids out, whatever. But they participate. There are more basketball. Um, uh, you just do the math. There's more baseball. There's more softball. There's more all these other sports lacrosse that they play and get in the tournament. Why can't you play? Football? Well, here's the other part of it is like the volleyball postseason. And the soccer postseason, and the basketball postseason, and the hockey postseason that Yale is more than happy to jump into with both feet with their national swimming and diving men's ice hockey team from a few years ago. Um, all of those championship events are played during the semester when kids are in class. Baseball and softball, at the very least, you know the regional is the final exam week for a, a lot of schools are done well before final exams. Uh, uh, well, or, or rather, are their schools are done with their final exams and have graduated well before the baseball season ends. Like at ETSU, I think it's probably, what, two, three weeks uh, after commencement, we're still playing regular season baseball, and then the regionals start. So their academic calendar is a little bit different, but traditionally, like, the stuff that you you're participating in is stuff that happens during the semester, and the football postseason, by and large, does not. That first round game's on Thanksgiving weekend. Your kids are home for the most part. So it really just strikes me as um, the Ivies. I, I, I don't even get it. I mean, there, there are so many great programs there. Like Buddy Tevens does a phenomenal job at Dartmouth. Uh, what they've built at Harvard, obviously. Yale is such a good program. You know, Brown hired the first female position coach. In Division One football, Heather Marini is the quarterbacks coach there. She's fantastic, by the way. She coached uh, she coached the offensive player of the year a couple years ago. She's Australian, which is uh, just just a really fun individual to to talk to. I got the chance to sit down and interview her once upon a time. It was great. But like, there's so many great additive college football programs in the Ivy League, and the Ivy presidents seem content to cut those teams off at the knees. Not just with the lack of postseason, but the lack of a bye week. Ten straight weeks is brutal. That's so dangerous for your players, and it piles up so many more injuries that you could have avoided. And it's just administration of football in the Ivy League is something that, you know, the ADs have called for it, the coaches have called for it, and the presidents just don't seem to care. They just say that's the this is the way that the Ivies have always done it since. 1920, this is the way we've done it. Well, guess what? None of you were alive in 1920, and very few people who were alive in 1920 are around right now to watch you butcher your football conference. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, We did have one more. um, 
Was it? Uh, yeah, it was. Your, it was your, your guy. guy. Your yeah. guy. Not my guy. It's your guy. Uh, you can say that if if you want, I guess. Um, so I have to, I have to go find the quote again. Um, Tim Brewster from uh, from well the quote from Danny Cannell because I want this to be uh, specific and accurate uh, to the uh the the quote about tim brewster so you saw the the video of tim brewster like telling guys to sit down stand up sit down sit up sit down with like, some language that didn't bother me because i'm a military guy but some yeah, people it did. didn't bother me either because i work with military guys my whole life basically uh but the quote from danny cannell if you ever wondered why college coaches don't work in the nfl this in a nutshell is why end quote from danny cannell on that video of tim brewster um yeah, and uh, Tim snapped back with, uh, I coached five years in the NFL or something to that effect. Right, right. Uh, hey, Danny, I coached five years in the NFL, would like to think, was very successful. Ask Antonio Gates. Yes, and then that was quote tweeted by uh, Chad Hartman, who said, uh, since Brewster said, ask Antonio Gates, share this story. After Brewster was hired, a representative from the U reached out to Gates asking about Brewster, looking for a positive comment. Gates refused and said he wanted nothing to do with Brewster. So it's going well for Tim. Is that what you're saying? Uh, Tim Brewster is the greatest recruiter in North Dakota State football history. He has never set foot on the campus of North Dakota State University. He is the greatest recruiter in NDSU history because all the Twin Cities guys that he didn't want because he was chasing uh, you know, guys from all over the country that didn't want to come play in the cold in Minnesota, he turned away the guys that wanted to be there, and all of them went to North Dakota State and won three national championships. Including, from my understanding, Billy Turner, who I believe is still in the National Football League. Tim, they, they should almost, I would almost say build a statue of Tim in Fargo. Thank you, Tim, for your contribution to the uh, the greatest dynasty in the history of FCS football, which looks very interesting for next year. By the way, that defense is uh, losing a lot of pieces, and uh, that the valley could be opened up a little bit because North Coast State's thin on defense, and John Stigelmeyer is retiring at the helm of South Dakota State after 26 years at the helm of that program. Good show. That was a great show. That was a long show. That was a great show. It was. We, we, the The amount of tangents that we uh, – you can tell we've gotten comfortable because we the, yeah. we sidebarred like seven times during that. I, I co-sign all those tangents. I, no, I I liked them all. I Get liked it? them all. No, of course I don't. No. Sign, co-sign, tangent, trigonometry. Mm. Mm. I bad credit. Does that, does that have anything to do with it? Bad credit, no credit. Yeah. That doesn't matter. They're not a sponsor is. yet. Don't you don't you don't you give free advertising to now if you want to become hey, a sponsor. There are, there are like come at us. We there got are sponsorships. Like Forty of those that do that. Uh, but if you are interested, contact no. I'm, I'm not. Just send us a message. We can we can get you in touch out Sure, yeah, yeah. Free food, podcast from your house, we can do that anytime. Yeah, if you want to fire up the smoker, let's do it. Yeah. By the way, I guess we'll come back Monday, right? Yes, with Jane Collier. Bye right uh, 18 tournament or else. Oh, you gotta be kidding me!